Welcome to a special series of the Her Empowered Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Beverly Price, Divorce and Empowerment Coach, who is the point of first contact and the leader of your divorce team, bringing all the professionals together to support you. From attorneys and mediators to financial experts to real estate and mortgage professionals, we'll be exploring how these specialized divorce professionals can support you. Through these conversations, we hope to provide valuable insight and information to empower women to make informed decisions and feel confident as they move forward in the divorce process. As a coach of your team, I'm in your corner, empowering you to be the master of your divorce while feeling confident, capable, and beautiful, stepping into the best chapter of your life. Join me in each of these episodes for practical advice, actionable tips, and insights to prepare you for this challenging time. Let's get started. Greetings and welcome to the Her Self-Expression Special Divorce Expert Series. I'm Beverly Price, a divorce and empowerment coach, and in this special series, I bring you experts from various fields of divorce to provide you a comprehensive guide for women navigating the divorce process. Whether you are soon to be separated, separated, divorcing, or divorced woman, this information is valuable. I have these questions for you to think about. Have you heard of mediation? Do you know what it is? And when should you choose mediation over going to court? Well, my guest today is Amanda Singer. Amanda is a CDFA, MDR, co-owner, and professional family mediator of West Coast Family Mediation Center. And I know those initials can be kind of confusing, so I'm going to get her to explain them to you. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for being my guest today. It's so good to have you. Hi, Beverly. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. Um, I think you're super, so I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Can you tell us a little bit about what those initials, let's see, we have Esquire, CDFA, MDR. Can you tell us what they stand for? Yes, I've got a full uh, alphabet behind my uh, my name, I say. Um, so Esquire is uh, the term for being a licensed attorney. So you'll see okay. if you see ESQ after someone's name, that means that they are a licensed attorney. So I am a licensed attorney. I'm licensed in the state of California. Um, the CDFA is a certified divorce financial analyst. And I know that, uh, Beverly, you'll be talking with other CDFAs as well. Uh, for me personally, um, having gone through the CDFA training, I use it to complement my mediation, which, uh, which I can talk about more as we go on. Um, but that is a professional who can help and assist through the financial issues during divorce. And then the last one, the MDR is a master's in dispute resolution. So in addition to doing my law degree, I also got a master's in dispute resolution from Pepperdine, their Strauss Institute for Dispute Resolution, one of the best in the country. And that really provided me, in addition to my legal background, um, uh, extensive background on mediation, negotiation, conflict resolution, that part of it. Wow. How impressive. You are so well-rounded. 
So Thank can you. you explain a little bit to the audience? I know that some people have heard of mediation. Some people haven't. So could you explain mm -hmm. it kind of in layman's terms? Yeah, certainly. And I think that, you know, sometimes people have heard of the even the word mediation before, maybe seen it in a movie or a show or heard it in a civil sense, but don't necessarily know in relation to divorce. So um, what mediation is and at, what I do as a mediator is work as a neutral third party. And so what that means is that the mediator is not representing either of the parties. And in mediation, both of them, so if it's a divorce, you've got both spouses that are agreeing to sit down together to work through the issues related to the divorce with a neutral third party who can assist them through all, that whole process. And so there's a few kind of tenets, I would say, of mediation. One of them is that it is voluntary. So if you want to do mediation, but your spouse refuses, unfortunately, it's not something that is forced into. However, courts and judges do like to see that parties have given mediation a try. So sometimes okay. they will highly encourage it or maybe make it as a requirement to try, but it is voluntary for you to be in mediation. Additionally, okay. mediation um, is confidential. And so if you're working in mediation, um, any of the things besides what you might file with the court, which is going to be different state to state, but besides what you file with the court, everything you talk about in mediation is confidential. Um, and that often is really important to people because um, I know that at least in California, anything you file with the family uh, law court here is a public record and a lot of people don't want to see all their information out yes. in the public absolutely so um, so if yeah. somebody gets asked if they then go to litigation and somebody gets asked to uh testify that was in the room uh you or the two spouses they can't share that information that is correct. Um, and now that may okay. vary a little bit state to state, um, but especially in California, it is confidential. The mediator, like you said, can't be called to testify. And part of that, just so people understand why, is because we want to be able to have a free flow of information, negotiation, making offers without the fear that, okay, well, if we don't resolve this, now my soon-to-be ex-spouse is going to take that information and use it against me gotcha. if we go to court. Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. What are the benefits of mediation? Yeah, so there are a lot of benefits of mediation, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll run through you know some of them. I think that one of the ones that is always on people's minds, so I start there, is the cost. Um, you know, going through a divorce is expensive, no matter yes, how you do fair. it. Um, and you're at a time where there's a lot of financial uncertainty. And so if you can know and understand better what your costs are going to be for the process, that can be helpful. But the, so the cost is always going to be less expensive. And when you think about it, part of that is because if you each have to go hire an attorney, they're each going to take a retainer. And then they're going to bill against that retainer. And you have no clue if that process ends up costing 
$20,000 each or $200,000 yes. um, or anything in between, as I'm sure you've seen. And so in mediation, because you're working with one professional, you're also working together. So there is a lot less back and forth that's happening. Right. Um, and so that cost is going to be a lot lower. Additionally, um, some mediators like myself, we do flat fees. And so that allows the clients to understand, okay, this is how much we need, we would expect to spend on this. Unlike, oh, awesome. again, the attorneys who have retainers and you just don't know what that's going to look like. Um, in addition to the cost, you know, one of the big benefits is working together amicably with your spouse. And especially if you have children, but even if you don't, um, it allows you to sit down, have conversations with the assistance of a neutral third party. Um, because oftentimes I hear from clients, well, we can't have a conversation, right? It devolves into anger or frustration or sadness, but having a third party to facilitate those conversations, um, allows you to work amicably with your spouse um, and resolve all of the issues without having to go to court and really looking at it as, you know, it resolving around maintaining a happy and healthy environment. If you have children, of course, for your children, but also for yourself, right? Making sure that the stress levels aren't as high and you're able to, you know, resolve the issues and work through it. Um, I already talked about mediation being confidential, but I would certainly like to point out that's definitely one of the benefits as well. Um, another big benefit with mediation is you have control over the process. So when I talked about mediation being voluntary, that also extends to the agreements that you make. And so your mediator is not a judge. They are not there to tell you what to do or require you to do things a certain way. They provide options and problem solving, but ultimately it's up to the parties to make the decision on what they want their agreements to look like. And I think that that's really important because it isn't a judge who doesn't know them and doesn't know their children saying you have to do something this way when the judge only right. had maybe five minutes, to, if not less, yes. to read everything over. Um, instead, the parties get to make those decisions for themselves. And I find that when they make those decisions for themselves, they're also more likely to stick with those agreements because it wasn't mm -hmm. somebody telling them they have to do it. It is them deciding what they want to do for themselves. So I think control is a really big benefit with mediation because you get to be the one who makes those decisions. Um, and then the last thing I would say is a big benefit, and I think of with mediation, is it is a forward-looking process. And what I mean by that is that it isn't necessarily about what brought you to where they are now. It is about how do we get those parties to move forward? And in mediation, it isn't just the legal side of it because there's so much more that goes into divorce, as I know you know, Beverly. Right. And it's figuring out how are they going to move forward emotionally, logistically, financially, all of those different parts um, of the divorce process that the court really only looks at the legal side. And so with that in mediation, we also work with a lot of different professionals, many of which you're talking with for this series as well, who allow us to figure out all of those different parts of the divorce process. And really, ultimately, I look at it as I want my clients to leave with things being better, not worse off after the divorce. Gotcha. So do you ever find find this well does a mediator ever work with an attorney 
Um, so they can, yes. One of the ways that, um, you know, often work with attorneys, and I think one of the things to be aware of too is, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm a licensed attorney, but when I work as a mediator, I'm only working as a mediator. And so anyone okay. who's an attorney, they can't represent one party and then tell you that they're going to mediate for you as well. So that's one thing gotcha. to kind of clarify, because I think that comes okay. up. But one of the ways that we work with attorneys is that I always recommend that my clients have what we call a consulting attorney. And that's going to be somebody that the party, each individual party can choose to have or not. We don't require it, but do recommend it. And that's somebody that they can use throughout the process to ask questions, advice, review their settlement agreement before it gets finalized. And what that person is doing isn't necessarily being present for the whole divorce and isn't litigating again, but they're there to provide advice. And that's important because as the mediator, since I can't represent either party, I can give legal information, but I can't give legal advice. And so sometimes one party or both might find they need a little bit more advice, right? They want to understand mm -hmm. a little bit more about what their legal rights are. And so I very often times work with attorneys on a consulting basis, or if you have an attorney, maybe your attorney is, a, is retained, and maybe you even started off in court, you can still mediate. So I also have clients who have attorneys and they come to the mediation meetings. So you can work with attorney, I work with attorneys in different ways and I find that my clients do too. It's really what's going to work best for them. If you have um, a law firm that does mediation and has lawyers, can, can those lawyers that are separate from the mediators sit in or does it need to be a totally separate law firm lawyer in the process? So they should not be within the same firm because that would be a okay. conflict but. within the law firm. So attorneys, there is um, conflict checks. So anytime you call an attorney's office, they should do a conflict check to make sure that they don't have any conflicts. Maybe your um, you know, spouse has already contacted that law firm or maybe they gotcha. have you know, a relation somehow else. But so because of that, you couldn't have a mediator in that firm and then also use one of their attorneys. Now for us, we don't have, um, we're, a whole, we're only a mediation practice. So that's never yeah. an issue for us. Um, and what we do is we have relationships with attorneys that we can refer to you if the clients need someone. If you um, are an attorney, which you were, mm -hmm. what, what about mediation attracted you to that profession as opposed to practicing law? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing for me is, especially on because of family, on the family law side, is that you've got these families, you know, very often they've got kids, whether they're still young or even if they're, even if you've got adult grown kids. Um, and because of that, they have a relationship. And especially with kids, you have to maintain a relationship moving forward, right? And the, the gotcha. problem with the family courts is it, it really tears families apart it isn't meant to be collaborative and to have you be amicable and work together. It is automatically putting you on the defensive against your spouse. And, you know, when you do that and you fight and you go through all of that, it is very hard to have a relationship after that. And when you've got kids, if you are needing to co-parent together, 
you now have all of this potentially pent up anger against your spouse from a long Mm -hmm. court battle. And now you're trying to co-parent kids together and none of that goes well. And so for me, it's looking at the fact that of course it's going to be better on the children. It's also better on the parties themselves because the stress that is involved with divorce, as I'm sure you see with many of your clients is can can just be so difficult to deal with and that's not yes. good for anyone's health happiness mental health any of that and so i found that especially for family law that mediation makes sense that again it gives the control back to the clients it allows them to make their own decisions and it allows them to go through a really difficult time in the easiest way possible wow i see So what does the mediation process look like for those that are kind of considering it? Yeah, so mediation process is certainly going to differ a little bit from mediator to mediator. So I'm going to talk specifically about what we do, but also some of it is, you know, just the process itself is general. So the first thing I would say is if you are interested in mediation or really just if you are unsure but want more information is to, you know, find a mediator. um, And I would even say to find more than one mediator to talk with. Um, most of the, most mediators, not all, um, exactly interview. Most mediators ourselves included offer a free consultation. Um, and some don't, but there may be kind of a low cost. And if you're really interested in that mediator, it may be worth it, you know, to do that. Um, but what that consultation allows you to do is twofold. One, to learn more about the process, you know, and specifically how does that mediator handle it? And it allows you both to interview each other, right? To make sure that Mm -hmm. they're going to be the right fit for you. You're, you're going to be the right fit for them. Um, and what they do is going to work. And the reason that I usually recommend talking with more than one is because people are different, different personalities, different Mm -hmm. processes, and you don't really know what that's like unless you have spoken with more than one mediator. And so that's the first step, you know, certainly reaching out, finding out that information. Um, and then whichever mediator you choose to move forward with, they're going to have a process of, you know, signing agreements, however they do payment, they'll go through that with you. Um, and then some of it is you've got the mediation process and kind of the legal process that overlay, right? And so the first step legally in a lot of places in California, one of those is filing the petition, right? And so that's going to be part of the mediation process if you're looking to legally start the process with the courts. Um, But then you're not going to court. The mediator should be taking care of that paperwork for you. Or in some states, it might be an attorney that does that. Um, But you are starting that legal process. And then you are meeting with your mediator to go through the mediation process. Now, for us, and and there are, it's kind of mixed as to if mediators do this or not, we start our process off with individual meetings for each of the parties. We call them a preliminary planning session. And it's a one hour that I do that I do individually with each party and the reason we haven't always done that but we started it I'd say about four years ago four or five years ago now and the reason that we do those is we find that there's a few things that it provides one is sometimes you have questions that you just might not feel comfortable asking in front of your spouse and it's not about advice again because that's not what we're giving but it allows them to ask questions for us to review the process make sure they understand um And then the big part, too, is it allows me to understand from each of them what their interests are. 
So talk about mediation as what we would call interest-based negotiation. And what I mean by that is it's thinking about not just what is your position, right? A position is I want this and that's all, right? Whereas your interests are, well, why do you want a specific thing, right? So let's say you want to keep your home. Well, your position may be, I want the house, but the interest is, well, why? Okay, I want my kids to continue growing up there. I want to have stability, um, financial, you know, whatever those may be. And when I meet with them each individually, they will share that information more readily than they may together. Because sometimes people feel, if I share that with my spouse, well, they're going to use it against me in, in some way. So we, we learn, we talk about interest. And then I just have other questions. I like to hear about their goals, what their concerns might be about the process, all of that. Then in between their preliminary planning session and, you know, either their first, second or third meeting, depending on whether they have kids or not, they need to, clients have to work on financial disclosures. Again, every state's going to be a little different, but for the most part, you're required, especially in California, to do financial disclosures. So clients are working on gathering together financial information. And then we're having a number of different mediation meetings to go through the different issues. If they have children, first and foremost is going to be parenting plans. So talking through everything that relates to the kids. For our process, we start with that because the kids are always going to be the most important um, thing to, to, to the parents. There's also less preparation that is necessary than there is for the financials. And then the other two areas are going to be the division of assets and debts. Now, that depends on whether your state's a community property state or an equitable distribution. But either way, talking about a division of assets and debts and then talking about support. So child support and or spousal support. And so we meet for a number of different mediation meetings, anywhere usually from, I'd say, two to like 10 meetings, depending on kind of what the complexities are. And we work through those different issues. There may be proposals that go back and forth, information gathering, negotiations to reach agreements on everything. And so once those agreements are reached, um, the mediator will draft that agreement up. Again, a little different by state by state. For us, it's called a marital settlement agreement. And as the mediator, I can draft that. I know there are some states where the mediators can't, so an attorney may get involved. But that agreement is drafted, and then the parties have a chance to review that, review with the professionals that they choose um, until it gets, you know, edited, finalized, and then it gets filed with the court. And so... No, that whole process is going to differ again state to state. For California, we have a six-month waiting period. So the clients cannot be divorced until six months from when the petition has been filed and served. Every state's a little bit different. So some states allow you to move through that process quicker if you want. Some might take longer. Um, but throughout that process, you're, you know, you've got the legal portion of it. You've got the mediation meetings and then finalizing everything. And so hopefully, again, there's some states I think where you might have to make a court appearance, but in California, if clients go through mediation and as the mediator, I am filing and everything for them, they never have to step foot in court. So everything that I've just discussed happens through our office. Wow. That sounds like a, a challenging process. So how long does the average mediation last? I mean, six months, a year? 
Yeah. So I'd say for, for us on average, our clients are about six months to a year. Some of that being that again, California has that six month waiting period. So even if clients finish sooner, they're still not divorced. So there's kind of, you know, the process of the meetings itself. And then there's the process of, you know, the actual divorce getting finalized. Um, But one of the things that I think is important is like I talked about, you have control over the process and mediation that includes how quickly or slowly you move. Right. So when clients may take longer time, it could be because they want to might be something that comes up. We might slow down for a little while, take a break, or it could be that it's more complex and there's more negotiation and things to be discussed, but there is control that the parties have over that. What do you do in a situation or can mediation handle the situation where a spouse suspects that the other is hiding assets? Yeah, that's, that's a good question because um, there are some things to do, but there are also some situations where that ends up being something that does have to be dealt with in court. Um, because in mediation, both parties are agreeing to disclose all of their financial documents. Now, there are required court disclosures, at least in California, and again, I know there are other states too, but I will talk about California for a second, where the parties are going to fill out all of their assets and debts and their income and expense, and then they're going to sign under penalty of perjury that they've disclosed everything. Oh, okay. So some of it is uh, is honesty and trust that they have to do, right? They have to provide right. uh, and disclose that information. However, on the flip side, there are ramifications if somebody didn't disclose an asset, right? So the conversation, if somebody thinks that the other one is disclosing is one, that if they're in mediation, they have agreed to disclose everything, right? So if they are not, it's discussing what those ramifications are going to look like and, and all of that. The other thing is that's where oftentimes a CDFA, that Certified Divorce Financial Analyst, so somebody, not myself, right, because I use it more for the education and the understanding with clients, but somebody who works solely as a CDFA or somebody like a forensic accountant can assist if you think they may be hiding someone in looking at documents, right? Because sometimes there are ways to find things out without having to go to court and doing a whole big long, you know, subpoena and discoveries and all of that. Um, And so that's where, you know, a professional like a CDFA or a forensic accountant or a CPA, someone like that may be able to help you go through the financial documents to see whether they also think that something is being hidden or not. Um, And then ultimately, if you still think that your spouse is hiding something and they are adamant that they are not, um, then it's a choice of, okay, if you think they are, do you go to court to try to find that? Or do you also know that, again, there are ramifications? So if later you found, let's say, that account or you found something that they had hidden, you could go back to court and you could say, well, they hid this during the divorce. And now, and this is especially in, Cal- this is in California, a judge could not only still divide that asset, but they could, um, uh, they could award it entirely to the spouse, other spouse. So not the one who had hid the asset, but the other one. So those are, you know, things that can happen down the road. I I heard of a situation where a couple was separated and the husband had a large IRA and um, they went through the disclosure process. But after that, he withdrew 
most all of the IRA, which caused significant tax implications. What happens in that situation in mediation? So I think in your example, you're saying that they had disclosed that he had it, but they hadn't reached an agreement yet is what I'm hearing, yes. if that's correct. Yes. Okay. So because he had disclosed it and it was, let's say if they were in California, we're a community property state. So that's what I know best, right? So as a community property state, that account, if it's from during the marriage, would be split 50-50. So now if he took all of that money out, he owes it back to his uh, his spouse because 50% of that would have been his spouse's. Now, there is also now the tax issue, right? Because if it was taken out as, um, you know, an early withdrawal, you could have a penalty and taxes. And right. so, you know, that's where it is also looking at, okay, how are the, how is that going to be dealt with, right? Is that other spouse... Um, is the spouse who withdrew the money going to be fully responsible for the taxes? It's discussing all of those different parts right. to it. Now, the one thing I will say in that scenario is if they were in California and the petition had been filed already and served, California has restraining orders that go into effect. So that spouse not only would have issues of, you know, the taxes and having to divide that account still, but they would have um, also violated those restraining orders wow. of having withdrawn money when they shouldn't have. Because what those restraining orders do is they basically freeze everything. They say that neither party is going to make changes to the marital estate without an agreement from the other party. And so in that case, if that person had done that, they may also be facing other ramifications wow. as well. Does that include running up credit card bills? It can. Um, again, it's uh, going to differ state to state, but in California, we look at after the date of separation as being separate property versus okay. during the marriage being date of marriage to the date of separation. Some states might look at it more as the date of divorce. So that's why I'm saying I know it can be a little bit different. Um, but if one person is, um, you know, racking up credit card debt after that date of separation, that could be separate property. However, the thing that I just like to let people know and to keep in mind is if you have joint credit cards and you are you know, on that card as well, that credit card company doesn't necessarily care who racked up the money, right? If right. they are not getting paid, they're gonna go after either person. So while it can be dealt with in the divorce, whether it's mediation or litigation, it's being aware that the credit card company isn't necessarily gonna care. So if your spouse doesn't have the money to pay that credit card back and you do, you now end up in a situation where you could have to pay that and then have to go after your spouse to get that money back. Right, right. And I also learned from the certified divorce lending professional that you shouldn't cancel that card because mm -hmm. when you cancel that card, it hits your credit and yes. negative yes. effect on your credit to, to buy something. Yeah. Yeah. So do you ever And have... some of it... Go ahead. I was just going to say some of it with the cards, and you may have talked about this with the uh, lending professional, is um, sometimes it's taking yourself off of it versus canceling the card, right? Oh, okay. So if you are on a card sometimes because a lot of times these days they're not actually joint cards it's more that one might be the primary one might be an authorized user so you could discuss that early on in mediation if you're concerned about being on your spouse's card 
Right. Um, and then if it is a joint card, then it could be a discussion of, like you said, not closing it or canceling it, but maybe putting a hold on it or not using it <clears throat> until, you know, the divorce is done. Do you also advise clients to change their beneficiaries on different accounts that exist? So as the mediator, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not advising my individual clients, right? But gotcha. if I'm discussing with both of them, that's again, where in California, that can't be done until the divorce is final or they've agreed upon doing that. So gotcha. up until the divorce is final, you can't make those changes on your beneficiary unless your spouse knows and agrees to do that. So we will talk about it if it comes up. Sometimes people do want to get those beneficiaries changed quickly. Um, but it is also a discussion of, okay, well, what does happen if one of you passes away during the process? And gotcha. unfortunately, we've had that happen. So it isn't, you know, out of the question. Wow. Gotcha. So does, do you ever see the situation where people are in mediation and they run into conflict and then want to switch to an attorney who takes it to court? Um, it certainly can happen. Um, and if there's a situation where that does, there's kind of a few things. One is as part of our agreement to mediate, we ask that the clients discuss that with us, right? If they feel that they, if mediation isn't working, let's discuss and see if there are any ways to make this work. Um, additionally, sometimes I find that clients want to bring their attorneys into the mediation process. So maybe they don't drop out completely, but there's ways to make the whole process um, work and run more smoothly. Um, and so I would say, you know, listen, every mediator has cases that aren't going to make it to the end. And if anyone right. tells you differently, they're not telling you the truth <laughs> because it's going to happen. I always say yes. that. And the more cases you do, so as a mediator who mediates full-time, and, you know, my company is doing, you know, because besides myself, we have other mediators too. We're doing hundreds of cases each year. Of course, we're going to have more that might, you know, but our percentage might, is going to be the same as somebody who might only do 10 cases in a year. But it might happen. Um, but again, it's discussing with your mediator. It's seeing if there's a way to, to salvage it and make it work. And if not, yes, there are going to be times where the parties choose to go to media, choose to go to litigation instead. The thing I will say, though, is that we also sometimes have people who then come back to mediation because they realize how expensive it is. They realize right, right. how they're not getting anywhere in litigation. And it's all about the, you know, the cost and the attorneys and they are more willing to come and uh, negotiate again. Yeah, I find that's when a lot of people come to coaching, too. They didn't mm. want to do it to start with. But when things get real bumpy, that's when they want the support. But it's ideally mm -hmm. the situation when they come to me when they're just first thinking about it. So when is yeah. the best time for someone to come to you um, when they're so considering I'll divorce? Yeah, so I would say the same answer. For us, <laughs> the best time is at the beginning. And part of that is because if you don't know about mediation and you get wrapped up with attorneys right away, it's harder to kind of get back, back to mediating. It's not impossible, but it's harder. But you've probably um, paid a retainer or something, so you'd lose that, yeah. right? Well, it depends. Uh, they have to, if you haven't used the retainer, attorneys do have to return your retainer okay. so that you don't automatically lose it. But any work that may have been done. Um, the other thing is if you go and hire an attorney, 
it puts your spouse usually on the defensive and they're automatically going to feel like they have to hire an attorney, right? Whereas if you start out talking to a mediator and you come to a consult together with your spouse and you look into your options together, it's less likely that it's going to, you know, just get contentious from the beginning if you start at that point. So that's what I would say. It's always the best time is at the beginning. And I always say to people too, like if we don't, if we aren't the right mediator or mediation isn't the right fit, because there are certainly times when it isn't, then, you know, you can go talk to an attorney or we can make referrals, but at least you've looked into all of your options, which is important. Um, And it's also understanding, like I've talked about how you could still involve attorneys and other professionals in your mediation process that may make that process work for you best. Gotcha. So what are the situations that mediation just won't work? Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, if one of the spouses is not adamant, is adamant and not going to agree and not willing to, you know, come to the table, we can't do anything because both parties have to be there. Um, But in, in addition to just, you know, the not willing to come at all, I think one of the situations where it won't end up ultimately working, even if they start out is if, if one or, or, or sorry, one or both parties isn't willing to compromise. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is that, you know, I say it as, okay, if you come in here or your spouse comes in here and says, you know, it's my way or the highway, I don't care yep. what they say. Mm-hmm. I want the house and I'm not willing to do anything else. Right. If they right. do that, no matter how good I am at what I do, no matter how much we discuss it, if they are not willing to budge and compromise, then we're never going to reach an agreement. Mediation is a process of compromise and you have to be willing to come in with that mindset. Now you can come in knowing that there are some non-negotiables for you, right? Maybe there is one or two things that are so important that this is what you know, you're going to stand firm on as long as you're willing to negotiate on other things. And that's why when I talked about that initial meeting I do with clients, it gives me an idea of, okay, what are those non-negotiables? What's important? And I can now see the places where compromise may be able to happen. Um, so that's one pl- time I will say that even if we, a lot of times like we'll be, I'll start mediation, I'll be working with clients, but if they're not willing to compromise, there's just only so much that can be done. Um, and then the, one of the other areas that I would say, well, not impossible, it is definitely more difficult is if there are restraining orders, domestic violence restraining orders in place, um, or there has been a history of domestic violence. Um, there are some mediators that will work with those clients no matter what and have things in place. And, and I have worked with some clients where there are restraining orders and everything happens separately. We never did anything jointly, not even emails. So everything was communicated separately. Um, With Zoom these days, there is a lot more opportunity to do those mediations. Um, But just sometimes that's not going to be possible, especially if there is a power imbalance and there are not professionals or things in place to, um, uh, to help that power imbalance. So if that is a situation that you're in, it's just making sure that if you're going to mediate, that you have the support that you need and the mediator is, is uh, skilled at being able to work with you in that situation, know what can happen and what can't, and also very aware that there's going to be some sort of power imbalance that needs to be dealt with. Gotcha. We've shared so much information. As we wrap it up, what three actionable steps would you give to the women in our audience to make their process more tolerable? 
Yeah. So the first step I would say is just find out what your options are, right? And you can okay. do that in a number of different ways. You can do that through meeting with a mediator. You could do that in talking with a coach like Beverly because she knows a lot about the process and what options are. But I think looking into your options is just so important um, and making sure that you have done your research and you really know, you know, what, right. what's going to be the best option for you. Um, I think that second off in terms of, no, uh, besides knowing your options is just having a strong team, having a team of professionals yes. that can help you through different things. You know, I do think that divorce coaches like Beverly are a really important part of the process because it makes my job as a mediator easier if somebody has a coach helping them through that process. And then it, it really is though that everybody needs different professionals, right? So figure mm -hmm. out who's right for you. You may need a consulting attorney and a CDFA, or maybe you just need one of those. You know, so it is figuring out right. what professionals, but building the team that's going to work for you. Um, and then, you know, so so, and then lastly, I would say that the the other part of it is just you know taking time for yourself, making sure that you you know, like we said, we've done your research and you put together a right. team, but that you now are in a situation where you can have the people to support you, but it's important to, you know, think about what you want, to think about what time you need for yourself and what you need to do. Um, it isn't just about you and your spouse anymore, right? It's about right. thinking about what's important to you. And I think that that's something that, you know, mediation can be a very, can be a very good place for people because of the lower stress and keeping things amicable. Um, but it's just taking that time to focus on yourself. Yeah, what I see sometimes is um, people that have been married a while, the wife has kind of been beaten down and um, hasn't used her own voice, has kind of listened to her husband and deferred to him. So when it comes to mediation or it comes to court, uh, things like that, she tends to kind of give up and shrink and go, mm. oh, okay, just to avoid conflict. How, can, mm. Do you do anything in those situations? Yeah, so I think that, you know, a good mediator should be able to notice that, right? Should, okay. you know, body language is a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And so being able to notice that they are, might be, even if they're not, physically shrinking? Are they not speaking as much? Are they mm -hmm. disengaging? You know, things like that. And right. so I think that it is, you know, if you have a, you know, hopefully you have a mediator who's aware of what's going on. Um, right. And that's where, you know, the mediator also can then make referrals of how else they can be supported. Right. So right. if I see that a lot of times what I'm saying is, you know, hey, you know, do you know, do you feel comfortable with the finances? Because a lot of times they say no, that's the place for maybe. And I'm like, OK, well, let's get a CDFA that you can work with directly, somebody right. who can then be your advocate and um, sometimes even come to the mediation with you so that you feel kind of bolstered up again, right? You feel that you've got someone to support you. So right. I think there's many different ways to handle that. It's just a good mediator knowing, observing it and knowing how to then assist with it. Gotcha. Amanda, there has been so much information shared today and so helpful. Um, 
it's just amazing what I didn't know coming into this, and I sure hope it's helped everyone. How can our listeners find you if they want to ask yeah. more questions or talk to you? Yeah, so um, we are, so we're West Coast Family Mediation Center. We're online at westcoastfamilymediation.com, and we have a ton of resources on our website. One of the biggest things I think is important is just providing information. So we blog, we have videos, we just a lot of resources, even if you're not looking, you know, not working with us, or even if you're not, um, you know, in California, some stuff will still, you know, be interesting and apply. Um, so online is, you know, the best way. And there you can find all of our social uh, media stuff as well. Gotcha. And then um, I can also be reached directly at Amanda at westcoastfamilymediation.com. Thank you so much for being my guest today. This has just been incredible. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Beverly. I enjoyed it, and I'm glad to be able to provide this information. And all of Amanda's information that she talked about, her website, her social media handles, will be available in the show notes along with mine. And you can find them at herselfexpression.com on the podcast page. I believe that women are helping other women. And that's our superpower. And that's why I'm bringing you these powerful female experts on all areas of divorce. Divorce isn't a time for guesswork or sitting back and letting someone else take control when there's so much experience available to you. Thank you for being with Amanda and I on this episode. And join me for the next episode in this series where I'll be diving deeper into what other expert professionals can do for you. Thank you for joining us today and take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Her Empowered Divorce Expert Series. I hope that you found the information we shared to be eye-opening and useful. I'm Beverly Price, and through my divorce and empowerment coaching, I serve as the leader of your divorce team, helping you to build self-esteem, knowledge, and emotional strength, as well as skills in communication, negotiation, and conflict resolution. If this sounds interesting to you, let's talk. Go to HerEmpowereddivorce.com and request a divorce breakthrough session. As you talk with me, you will discover that I can assemble the most effective team and create a custom one-on-one -on -one coaching solution just for you. You can find this episode, blog posts, resources, and more at HerEmpoweredDivorce.com. Now look for our other Divorce Expert Series episodes coming soon. Take care.